At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 403rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is training future farmers. We're talking with Tobias Peggs about empowering next-gen farming leaders. Tobias is co-founder and CEO of Square Roots, an urban farming company headquartered in Brooklyn, New York City. He has a PhD in artificial intelligence from Cardiff University in his native United Kingdom. He is also a Techstars mentor, competitive triathlete, snowboarder, and ramen hunter. Square Roots grows and sells tasty, nutritious food year-round from their Brooklyn campus of indoor, climate-controlled, modular farms. Their mission is to bring local, real food to people in cities by empowering next-gen leaders in urban farming. Because the more of us working to shape the future of our food, the better. Founded in 2016 by Tobias and Kimball Musk, Square Roots is also host to a year-long hands-on training program that puts participants at the forefront of the indoor urban farming industry. Welcome to the show today, Tobias. Are you ready to rock indoor farming? I'm ready to rock and roll if you want that too. Let's go. I'm excited about this, Greg. Excellent. Thank you for being here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, the path is, um, I guess, quite interesting. I'm a, I'm a tech guy, right? As you mentioned, there, I have an AI and PhD and spent a bunch of time in Silicon Valley building tech companies. One of them was acquired by a large global retailer, and I worked at that company for a year or so. While I was there, I ran mobile commerce for international markets. And so what that meant was I had a team that was building mobile shopping apps, essentially enabling people to do the grocery shopping on their phone. And we had hundreds of millions of users all over the world. Um, you know, it's huge scale. So what I started seeing there was you know, literally food flying all over the world. <laughs> you know, people in the UK adding bananas to their shopping list. And I'm thinking, all right, well, when I grew up in the UK, we weren't growing bananas there. Like, where are they being grown? Where are they being shipped from? You know, what is the impact of this? Mm-hmm. And you could just see this. I thought it was absolutely insane, right? So I saw that consumers want great food from all over the world. But we're also seeing the fact that the consumer wants a connection to the food and a connection to the farmer, right? They want transparency in the supply chain. They want to know 
sort of where the food comes from. So that got me thinking and I was like, okay, well, what if you could use controlled climates? And so you could basically recreate climates from all over the world. You could do that in an indoor farm, but you could put that farm in a neighborhood Mm -hmm. and then grow food from all over the world, but do that locally for the local neighborhood. So that was kind of the, the idea. It sounded like a good business idea, but it was also important to Kimball and I, as we then started thinking about this, that we wanted to create a positive social impact as well as, as doing that. And so that actually led us then to the, the other part of the, the model that you touched on, which is the, the next-gen farmer training program. Right, as we started thinking about who were going to be the farmers that are going to grow this delicious food in our farms, we started realizing how incredibly hard it is to be a farmer. <laughs> you know, the oh, work's yeah. hard. Yeah, right. The, you know, the, the work's hard. To the startup costs, uh, you know, can be astronomical. And also for young people, they don't necessarily want to live in the middle of the country, right? They want to live in Brooklyn or cities, right? Kind of cool places and be surrounded by tech. You know, we realized that we need a lot more young farmers coming into the system. You and every one of your listeners will know that the average age of a farmer in the U.S. is 58 years old. We need more young people coming into this industry. And so we thought, okay, we can actually set up a farm and provide them this training program to bring these young people into the into the industry. So that was kind of where we landed. You know, as you said, we formed in 2006. So in summary, what we've got then is a series of these indoor, very high-tech, controlled climate modular farms. And then we run the next-gen farmer training program, which brings in young people. They come in and work with us for a year. We surround them with all of this tech and our team and training and get them up to speed super quickly. And so they're growing food and then we sell the food. That's how we all make money. So this sounded like a great business idea, but it it was also really important to myself and Kimball as we set the company up that we wanted to create a big social impact with with this business as well. And that, that was when we started researching how hard it is to be a farmer. As we were thinking about building our farms, we were like, great, let's go to talk to some farmers, figure out how to do this. And we sort of realized how incredibly hard it is to be a farmer. The, you know, the labor's hard, the startup costs, if you want to be a new farmer, are sort of astronomical. It just felt very hard. And mm-hmm. the other issue that we were seeing is we've got to figure out how to get more young people into farming, yeah. right? You and every single one of your listeners will know that the average age of a farmer in the U.S. is 58 years old. Who's going to be growing the food when those people retire? Right. We've got to get more young people in, right? But they don't necessarily want to live in the middle of the country. You know, they want to live in Brooklyn, where all their friends are, and they want to be surrounded by technology and, you know, all of this stuff. And so we thought, okay, we can do this, right? We can build our farms in the middle of Brooklyn. And what we can do then is provide an opportunity for all these people who want to be a farmer, just like in a new paradigm, right? The next generation of farmers, we can help them come in and get started, right? So the way it works is we have young people that come in and spend 12 months with us. We put them then in these very high-tech farms and surround them with the technology and the team and the training and the whole thing and get them up to speed really quickly. They're growing a ton of food. We're selling a ton of food. That's how we all make money. Mm -hmm. And then in the back, In the background, we're also coaching these young people on things like plant science and entrepreneurship frameworks Mm -hmm. and community building. And they, over the course of the year, then they acquire all of these skills and all of this knowledge such that when they graduate from Square Roots, 
they're then in a position to really accelerate their careers, right? Maybe they start up their own company or maybe they have a, you know, amazing job at some other company, whatever it is, we're there to sort of accelerate, launch, unleash this new generation of leaders into the industry as we do things. So you're training future farmers. Well, future farmers, yes, but also I think future food entrepreneurs. Yes. I'll give you an example, right? So we run in our first cohort, which started in November 2016 and ran for 12 months. We had 10 people on the training program. Two of them have gone on to set up their own urban farms in New York City. That's amazing. There's now more ways to buy fresh, locally grown food in New York. It's fantastic. Others have gone on and set up hardware and software companies. They were looking at the technology in our indoor farms and looking Uh, at the lights, right? And thinking, you know, I've got a better design for a light for an indoor farm. I'm going to go build a hardware company that makes lights and sells them to indoor farmers. And so they then are also contributing to this whole mission of trying to grow more food in the city, right? But you don't just need farmers. You need hardware companies and software companies and distribution and logistics companies and all of these things. And I think what happens in the next-gen training program that we have is people get a complete view of the local food system from seed to sales. Mm -hmm. And certain aspects of that are very interesting to them. Certain aspects of that are inspiring to them, right? And they will go off and start to tackle all sorts of problems that they see that need fixing or opportunities that they found that they think they can build a business in. And so, yeah, it's not just about getting more people to farm. It's about getting as many entrepreneurially minded people as possible out there building businesses or driving existing companies to, to do the right thing. And the, the tagline that you used, right, the more of us working on the real food revolution, the better. Yep. That is what drives things here. Yeah, beautiful. And who are these next-gen farmers that you're working with? It's a very interesting question, actually. So we've just started our third season of the next-gen training program in New York. Credit runs from November to November here. We opened applications back in the summer, in July. Applications were open for about 10 days, and we had over 200 people apply for the program. Wow. Hold on. I'm going to stop you. I want you to repeat that because I just got (laughs) chills. I'm still getting chills all the way down to my toes. That is epic. Say it again, please. So we opened applications for this program in July. In the first 10 days, we had over 200 applications for the the program. That is amazing. These are people from all over the country. About 50% of those applications came from New York City, but the rest were across the country. Really diverse mix as well, which was also very, very pleasing. What this is saying is that young people want to learn how to farm, mm-hmm. learn about the food industry, but like, where are the opportunities to get started? And I think that's something that Square Roots almost uniquely provides. You, know, you can come and live in Brooklyn and be a hipster and go to the shows and the bars and hang out with all your friends and you know, have, that, have that life that you want to have. Mm-hmm. But you can also then learn to grow food and get connected with the local community and help the local community get more connected to the food and the farmer. You know, and while you're doing all of that, you're also learning all these other skills 
entrepreneurship skills, community building skills, plant science skills, all of these things that will then set you up for an incredible career after your 12 months at Square Root. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. I'm blown away by what you've set up. Thank you for that. Well, thank you. And, you know, without sounding too corny about it, the people to thank are really the... People showing up? Exactly, right? It's the participants of the program, right? They're like, okay, I'm, I'm with you for a year. I'm all in. Let's go. <laughs> Teach me how to farm. So what kind of people are you seeing showing up? Well, it's so interesting, actually. You know, if I think about the first cohort that we had in, one of the guys was a former investment banker, oh, right? Wow. Who didn't want to didn't want to spend his life in front of a spreadsheet. Wanted to make a bit more of an impact of the world. Quit banking to learn how to be a farmer. The guy then that was in the farm next to him grew up in a food desert in the Bronx and saw the impact of a lack of availability of fresh locally grown nutritious food saw the impact on his community mm-hmm. and was really driven by topics like justice and access and like these are big words to throw around but you know when you sit down and you talk with someone who grew up in a food desert and sees the impact like that as one driven individual and i just give you a couple of those examples but what's them wonderful on a weekly basis at Square Roots is all the farmers sit around a community table and we talk about lessons learned this week and things they've heard from the community. I'm not a social scientist by any stretch of the imagination, but I would struggle to think of another forum where you've got an investment banker and a guy that grew up in the Bronx sat around the same table talking about the same issues, trying to solve them from their very different perspectives. And I think that's one of the magical things that's happening here as well. We have a lot of voices and a lot of angles around the table. When you're building the local food economy by from the ground up. Yeah, someone's got it, right? Because right. especially if you live in the city right now, you're pretty much at the mercy of the industrial food system, right? We're all eating food that's shipped in from thousands of miles away. It's high calorie, low nutrient. The impact on the planet is devastating. And it's kind of making us all sick, you know, diabetes and Mm -hmm. obesity epidemic. All of this stuff can be drawn to the industrial food system. And you think, okay, well, what if you could actually eat locally grown fresh food that hadn't taken weeks to get to you, but took hours to get to you because it was grown in the same neighborhood. And that's what we're trying to do here. Wow. So how are you seeing the use of technology improving both efficiency in farming and the life of the farmer? So we're definitely an ag tech company. There's a lot of investment dollars in ag tech right now. That's oh, yeah. pretty much it's going into automation and robotics to try and basically remove the farmer from the system, right? Yeah. You know, Labor is one of the most expensive parts of an agriculture company, and we fundamentally disagree with that approach. Our whole approach is the farmer should be at the center of the system. It is that person who is willing the plant to come to life that just makes it taste better, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what you can do then is surround that farmer with technology, with data, with insights, with tools that help them grow as much food as possible in really smart ways, right? Using the fewest resources possible. So the, the technology platform that we built here, we call it our farmer first technology platform, right? It's all about, as I've said, putting the farmer at the center of the system and then helping that farmer grow as much food as possible 
I'm using the fewest resources possible. Wow. So one of the questions that I like to ask our farmer guests is when we drive up to one of your farms, what are we going to see? Yeah, you're not going to see rolling hills and sheep on the meadow, that is for sure. Urban farming, and we think of ourselves as extreme urban farming. <laughs> we are literally on a parking lot in the middle of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. The farm itself is built inside refurbished shipping containers. So we have what, uh, what we call here a campus, which has got 12 of these containers. Uh-huh. And then inside each of these containers is a controlled climate, right? So let's say we're working with a chef who's been traveling in Europe and tasted this amazing basil from the north of Italy. For example, we can look at the climate in the north of Italy, figure out what time the sun comes up, what time the sun goes down, what is the temperature, what is the humidity, and then recreate that environment inside one of these boxes and grow that same tasting basil, right? And so we've got a number of these modular units and each one has got its own microclimate, each one's growing um, different food. There's a huge window on the end of the farm so that literally anyone in the neighborhood as they're walking by can, you know, have a look and see what we're doing. Oh, nice. Yeah, total transparency. So you can like come and look at the farm we're working. And then the whole setup here, we have the farms, obviously cold storage and all the things that you would expect. And then we also have pretty much like a community center space that holds about 150 people, maybe 200 people. And what we'll do there on a weekly basis is hold open house tours. People from all around New York can just jump on the subway, come check out the farm, meet the farmers, see the farm tech, taste the food, obviously. That's kind of the most important piece here. Mm -hmm. And it's a very sort of office space, if you like, really acts as a community hub to get people connected to the food and the farmer. Wow. And what kind of response are you seeing from the general public with this project? I mean, it's amazing for all of the technology and the social impact of the training and for all of that, at the end of the day, if the food doesn't taste amazing, Uh no one's going to buy it. Right. And the business doesn't make sense. Right. And so the quality of the food is really what we focus on here in terms of end product. And then we, you know, constantly check them for that consumer's reaction to the quality of the food and the fact that food is super fresh, right? We go from harvest to retail shelf within 24 hours, right? We control the distribution. So the farmers Mm -hmm. do the harvesting and packaging. We have a guy who cycles around town on an e-bike, right? Dropping off clamshells of basil and whatever else we're growing that week Uh to all the retail stores, right? And then we'll go and we'll do demos in retail stores and go talk to the customers. And they love the taste of the food. That's number one. Can't believe the freshness. You know, they're very interested in different varieties that we can grow. In New York, people love the spiciness, right? So if we're growing arugula, for example, or mustard greens is Mm -hmm. the best. Mustard greens is the best one, right? Because again, you've got these controlled climates. So there's a lot of precision on how you're growing this food. And you can, you know, alter environmental parameters to tweak the taste profile of the mustard greens that we grow here are ridiculous. And when someone is at a sampling station in a retail store and tastes our mustard greens for the first time, and literally they cry oh, right? yes. because it is like it is like eating a mouthful of 
beautiful English yellow mustard, you know, or wasabi or something like that, right? And people are like, my God, I had no idea that a vegetable could do that. Uh-huh. And the reason why is that they spent their whole life eating industrially grown food that's been flying in for two weeks and all the taste is gone, right? And so when they're eating like super fresh, very tasty food, and they're also talking to the farmer that grew the food, right? And feeling the love. It's a really special thing, actually. Yeah, building those bridges between the farmer and the eater is is of utmost importance. Yeah, couldn't agree more. What kinds of food are you growing? So we grow a lot of different varieties on, on the farm. We grow a range of herbs, basil, mint oregano, rosemary. It's all beautiful and really fragrant. A lot of leafy greens, kale, chard, arugula. Those are products that we get to market right now at really competitive prices, right? The technology is at a place where we can grow these things in these very high-tech farms and do that in a way that's competitive with other growers in the market. Mm -hmm. And then sort of in our R&D pipeline, right? Things that we're figuring out how to grow and figuring out how to do that economically. We're doing a lot of small fruiting crops, so strawberries, blueberries, tomatoes. Our tomatoes are absolutely delicious. I'll bet. And then we go into some more crazy stuff, right? We've got Japanese Heroku turnips growing out there right now. We do eggplants and we had a chili eating competition the other day oh, with oh, habaneros oh. that the farmers grew in the farm. So yeah, there's a, a whole lot of fun. Some people call it R&D. Some people call it fun. It depends <laughs> where you sit on the business, I guess. So, uh, But anyway, in terms of products that customers can buy today, mm-hmm. mostly herbs and leafy greens. And then in very short order, um, you'll start to see some of these additional products with more biomass they'll be coming to market in the next couple of months. Nice. In your travels through this process over the past three years, I am sure there is one person that has shown up that just says to you when you see what they're doing, oh my gosh, this is the reason I'm doing this. Have you got one of those? Oh, we do. And he's actually working with us right now. Young lad called Daniel. So Daniel grew up on a low-income housing project literally next door to the farm, uh, the Marcy Projects. And we were introduced to Daniel through a non-profit in the area called Green City Force. They take kids, late teens, early 20s, specifically from these low-income housing projects and then put them through a nine-month program to get them ready for careers in the green economy. Wow. While he was training there and actually learning how to build outdoor urban farms, right? He built kind of a raised bed farm in a housing project here in New York. We got introduced to Daniel and he was like, you know, I'm kind of interested in indoor stuff as well. And we actually brought him in on a six week mini project to get him up to speed, get him exposed with what was going on. And he absolutely fell in love with the technology and what we were doing, the mission of the company, but was also a really, really, really kick-ass farmer. And so at the end of his training program at Green City Force, we actually brought Daniel on board as farm manager assistant, and he's been working here for several months actually with us now. And, and then when we launched applications for the next-gen farmer training program for this year, he came to me and said, hey, listen, I would like to do this program for a year because I think it's going to be a really good, valuable year for me. And then I can see that this provides a pathway to this 
crazy career that like I now know I can have in urban farming that two years ago, I had no idea you could grow food in the city. Now I think I can build a career here. And so we said to Daniel, listen, you know, we know you, we love you, apply for the program. We're going to have to take your application at face value along with everybody else's. And in a long story short, he absolutely crushed the application process, did really well. Nice. Now he's going to be the superstar in the next program. And it is just amazing to see someone like that get so inspired, be able then to draw a line from what he's doing today, growing this food, being able to tell the tale of how that will impact communities that he grew Mm -hmm. up in, what his kind of vision is to make this food accessible to everyone right in the future. It's a very inspirational story. Wow. We should have him on the podcast. Oh yeah. He'd love to, I'm sure. Love to tell his story. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. <laughs> There's so many times I failed. Um, <laughs> It is almost hard to pick one, I think. To be honest with you, I think that's probably a factor of startup life, right? You know, I mentioned I've built tech companies in Silicon Valley and the sort of tagline there is almost a cliche now is move move fast and break things, right? It's an ethic really that tries to embed failure as part of the process, right? When you fail, you learn things. And as long as you're failing fast and you're analytical about what happens, you can turn that into a strength. If I think about a specific failure, There's one that happened very early in my career, honestly, but like I still wake up in sweat streaming about it now, like 20 years later, the headlines on it was the CEO of a company I was working at wanted me to pull together this very big, important presentation that he was going to give to a bunch of investors, had an impossible deadline. I had to pull like two consecutive all-nighters to get this done. Uh I got it done and then gave my laptop to a colleague Uh and asked him to walk walk over to the auditorium you know, where this presentation is happening and plug it in while I had a quick nap at my desk, right? And then I kind of woke up, you know, an hour later and wandered over to where the presentation was going to be to see how it went. And I just walked into a room of people frantically looking for me, looking really stressed. And my colleague didn't have the password for my laptop or something, right? And they just couldn't get this presentation to work. And of course I was sleeping. So like, I had no idea they were texting me or anything. Uh, I was absolutely mortified that I had let my CEO down, who I had a lot of respect for and you know, kept all these investors hanging. And the, the big lesson essentially, and I'm glad I learned this early on, is so you can put in 99% of the effort, but if you miss that final 1%, the final push to get it over the line, uh-huh. it can ruin absolutely everything, right? So I guess the lesson I learned that day was, accountability, right? End-to-end accountability. Yep. Make damn well sure that things are 100% completed. So um, yeah, a lesson I carry with me through to today. Yeah. I, I did a bunch of training with an organization called Landmark Education almost 30 years ago. And it was a weekend program. And at the end of one day, we were all standing in the room. A bunch of us were standing in the room while they were cleaning up. When they were resetting the room, they were going between each chair and they had a two inch wide roll of tape and they were measuring that exact amount to make sure that the chairs were exactly perfect in perfect order. Wow. And I said to my partner at the time, wow, that's just crazy. And she turned around and looked at me and she said, Greg, imagine if we ran our business that way. 
right. Yeah. Wow. End to end accountability and showing up a hundred percent. So what do you consider your biggest success? It's a tricky question, honestly. I think my biggest success is probably not sitting around thinking how successful I am. <laughs> the minute you rest on your laurels, that's the minute that a competition beats you, right? Or you miss an opportunity or almost to a fault. Something gets done over the line, a project completed, a business won. Like I'm very much, okay, what's next? Like no, no, no kind of time to stop and celebrate. If I could think about a success though that's specific to Square Roots, I wouldn't necessarily think of it as success today. We're only two years old. We've still got a lot to do. But things I'm pleased about, earlier in the interview, we talked about customer feedback on the food, right? And when Mm -hmm. I'm kind of out there at a demo and people are smelling the basil or tasting the mustard greens and it's the aroma or the taste that gives them this crazy feedback, I love that. And the other thing I like here is we do open house farm tours. Mm -hmm. We get a couple of hundred people show up and see the farm tech and stuff. We always have a smattering of parents with young children. And what I love then is the next day I get an email from a parent that says, okay, Johnny would never eat his greens. (laughs) But he came last night, got so inspired. Now he wants to grow up and be a farmer, right? That is so cool. I, I love that. And then the other, the other thing quickly that, that I would mention here is I'm still obviously in very close contact with you know, all the farms that have been through the, the program so far. You know, we've only just started the third program, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we're still early in the, in the process here. But watching what they have gone on to do next after Square Roots is very inspiring. Yeah. You know, whether they've set up their own farms or they've got amazing jobs at other high-tech companies, uh, setting up other types of food businesses, whatever it is, we set our company up to empower the next generation of leaders and watching how they're going about uh, kind of doing that and fulfilling that mission is, is amazing. Yeah. Really, really incredible. Well, I've said it many times before. I think the most revolutionary thing that we can be doing right now is figuring out how to grow our own food. And thank you for the work you do and that there are 200 people showing up to want to do that. Yeah, yeah. So what drives you? Specific to Square Root, we spent a lot of time up front really thinking about the mission of the company and making sure that we could articulate that clearly so that everyone was driven by the same aim, right? So our mission is bringing real food to people in cities all around the world by empowering next-gen leaders in the industry. And if you break that apart, what it ultimately means is we want to put Square Roots farms in every single city in the world. And we want to be training thousands, tens of thousands of young people how to be farmers and how to play their part in this local food system. And then ultimately what that means is fresh, healthy, locally grown, nutritious food available for everyone, right? Grown by farmers that they know that they have a connection with. Honestly, if we make that happen, the world's a better place. The issue is it's probably going to take my entire lifetime Mm-hmm. to make that happen. And then probably whoever takes over the company after me, it will take their entire lifetime. Right? Yeah. This is probably a never-ending mission here, but uh, it certainly gets me out of bed in the morning, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love this quote. If you're, not, if you're not planning out past the next 100 years, you're not thinking big enough. Yeah. We, uh, Kimball and I, have a, have a play on that, actually, which is um, imagine the next 100 years, but plan for the next six months. Meaning... <laughs> yeah. Right. Meaning, with, especially with early stage startups, oh, like yes. you've no idea what's around the corner, right? So we're like, we know it 
we know everything that's going on for the next six months and we're running like the wind to make it happen. And directionally, that's going to get us to the 100-year vision. Yep. We're going to roll with the punches along the way and come up with the next six-month plan after that. So yeah. Yeah, it's a very iterative approach. When one of the things that I love that you said was that you've got a goal that's big enough that gets you up out of bed every morning. I've got one of those too. And it's that's an important piece. Can you say a little bit about that? We set up Square Root to be sort of very deliberately double bottom line, right, is the phrase. So we care about the financial returns. We want to build a successful business here. And we care about the social impact, right? We want to make an impact on the world. There are a number of companies out there right now that are very inspirational to us as we think about this. Patagonia, right, would be a great example. They want to give you, you know, the warmest jacket and the best ski wear and best equipment to climb mountains, but they want to do that in a way that is not impacting the planet while they do it. Tom's Shoes, right, is probably a more obvious example that everyone's heard about. They sort of came up with the buy one, give one model, right? You buy a pair of shoes from Tom's Shoes and then they give a pair to a child in need somewhere around the world. I love those types of businesses that very, very explicitly want to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and that connect but it certainly gets me out of bed in the morning when you talk to potential recruits who want to come and work at square roots you know they're fired up about that mission so obviously the farmers that we bring in are fired up about that and ultimately thinking about this from a business perspective that's a really good story to be communicating to customers as well right because Oh, yeah. Consumers today, they don't just want to buy product, right? They want to buy product with a purpose. And you have to be careful, right? You can't be too preachy about it and kind of shove it down people's throats. But the information is there if customers want to dig in and scratch away at the surface and figure out, okay, great, I bought this clamshell of beautiful basil from this retail store. Who's the company behind it, right? And when they start digging, all of that information is there and they can begin to get a grasp of the bigger mission right now they're not just buying a clamshell of basil right they're buying into a, a roadmap that hopefully we'll see real food available for everyone awesome and if you could recommend one book for our listeners what would it be and why there's a book i carry around it's called the operational advantage by patrick lencioni and what it does is provide a very actionable framework to get your team on the same page literally on the same page. It sort of forces you to ask a number of key questions. What is our purpose, which results in mission statement? And what are our values? How do we show up to work for each other um, on a daily basis? How do we explain what we do in plain English so that everyone understands that? And then you drill into okay, what's most important right now and who's doing what. And if you can answer these questions and you literally answer them on one sheet of paper, your entire team is suddenly like literally on the same page. And so what that means then is that they're then empowered to run on their projects and their initiatives. They need to make a decision. Should we go this way or this way? Or what about this initiative versus that initiative? They can pass it through this playbook as it's called this one pager that answers those questions. And if what they're doing makes sense, according to the playbook, it aligns with the mission and it's going to be done in a way that aligns with the values and it lines up with something that's very important to us right now, then they know that they can get on with it with speed because it's contributing to what we need to do. It's a very powerful way, I think, as I said, to get the company on the same page and then 
have your operations kind of running very fast and very efficiently. Wow. And the name of the book again is? It's called The Operational Advantage, and the author is Patrick Lencioni. Thank you for that. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Yeah, look, I spent my entire career in early stage entrepreneurial endeavors, whether that's tech or farming or, you know, other things. So I guess I'm pretty biased, right? But the the advice that I have is go for it, right? No regrets. If you've got an idea, if you want to start a business or a side hustle or a project or whatever it is, it's going to inspire you and ideally makes the world a better place, then go for it. The best way to start is to start. There are so many people with great ideas who never take that first step and mm-hmm. you, you got to take the first step. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Tobias. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out more about your organization? So we're very active on social media. So you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Square Roots Grow. Folks can obviously go to the website, squarerootsgrow.com. And on the website, we also list dates and times for our open house farm tours as well. So there's, you know, two or three times a month where people who are in New York or maybe visiting can come to the farm. So just go to the website and sign up and we'd love to see you here. Awesome. I may have to come and see you too, because it sounds, uh, I love New York City and it sounds like it might be a fun spring trip. Well, maybe we can do a live podcast from inside the farm. How about oh, that? Oh, that would be fun. Once again, thank you. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash square roots. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, Head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.